Hello and welcome to this week's Farmland. In a week where an awful lot of the news has been dominated by the weather, we take a look at how it has affected areas like tillage and forestry. Here's what's coming up. Siobhan Walsh investigates wet weather and its effects on tillage farmers. Claire McCormick speaks to Michael Moroni about a crisis facing forestry contractors. And we take a look at best practice in milking cows. It's done twice a day most days of the year and it's second nature to dairy farmers. It's milking. We sent Emma Gilson in to chat to Parag O'Connor of Chagusk to find out best practice when milking your herd. The milking process is the most important job on a dairy farm. Most dairy farmers milk twice a day, seven days a week, for between 280 and 365 days a year. Therefore, it is critical that it is carried out and completed correctly. Today, Parag O'Connor will be showing us best practice when carrying out the milking routine on your dairy farm. My name is Parag O'Connor. I'm working with Chagask and today we're in Ballyhead Agricultural College going through the milking routine. Three main objectives of a good milking routine. One is producing high quality milk. The second thing is being as efficient as you can inside in the milking pit. And the third one is, you know, to have it as stress-free as possible for both the milking operators and the cows themselves as well. You know, health and safety is a big aspect here too. Start in the milking parlour, walk through the milking parlour just to make sure that all the gates are closed properly and that the milking machine is ready as well. So have the milking parlour ready. I will always say to students or farmers, milkers, you know, are a conduit between the milking machine and the cow. And it's important that you keep yourself clean before, during and after milking. Okay, that means having a clean parlour apron or a parlour suit and wearing nitrile disposable gloves as well, and keeping those clean as you go, as you go through the milking. Clusters have to go on to clean, dry teats. That's really, really important. Here today, we're actually uh, pre-spraying the cows and wiping them before we put the clusters on. Now, the reason for that is that, you know, there's a higher bacteria load at this time of the year and the springtime of the year compared to when they're out at grass. We're attaching the clusters, <clears throat> and this is the left-hand side of the parlor. The reason being is, you know, uh, you're looking at in the same direction as the cows, which are back to the collecting yard. Um, so I'm holding the cluster with the hand that's closer to the front of the pit, which is my right hand. Left hand side of the parlor, holding it with the right hand and going around in a circle. Starting off with the back right, the front right, the front left and the back left. It's also important that the cluster sits squarely onto the cow. In other words, good cluster alignment. That's to uh, cut down on any line or slip uh, when the cow is partially milked out or nearly fully milked out. And that will cut down on mastitis levels. I would always advocate we start at the front of the parlor and work your way back. Okay, two reasons for that. One is, particularly in bigger parlors, once the first four or five cows are in place, you can start cupping, you can start preparing and cupping, you know, while the other cows are filtering into the parlour. The second reason for starting at the front is when you're taking off the clusters, when you're maybe three quarter way back the row, you, you can actually release the row that you're taking the clusters off of. Okay, so I'm going to remove the cluster from this particular cow here. She's on the left hand side of the parlour. So I'm going to catch the cluster with my left hand this time 
So it's when I move it across to the other side, to the right hand side, I'm holding it closer with the, with the hand I need to be holding it closer with. So I kink the tube, wait for two or three seconds to take it off the cow, and then just swing it across. A post spring is really important. Okay, making sure the whole battle of the teeth, of all the teeth, are, are, are covered with teeth spray. And we're talking about 15 mils of spray per cow per milking. And that's really important. When the milking is over, um, you know, make sure to clean down the parlor. That's washing the outsides of the clusters, washing the facilities itself, and then washing the plant internally. That's really important. And going through that routine. Well, that's it from us. Next time you're milking your cows, keep some of Pork's top tips in mind and see if there are any changes you can make to your milking routine that might make you more efficient while also looking after yourself. Tillage farmers have been especially badly hit by wet weather. Tillage specialist Siobhan Walsh visited John Murphy, who farms in County Wexford, and spoke to Shea Phelan of Chogusk to discuss workloads and the tree crop rule. We're here just outside Enniscorthy in County Wexford and I have John Murphy with me here. John, the weather has been against tillage farmers in, in recent weeks and months for the last autumn. Um, we're in a field of beech here. You've been struggling to get it pulled. Can you tell us maybe a little bit about it? Yes, yeah, Siobhan, we're, we're struggling here for the last, I suppose, ever since the plough match up, we've been getting constant rain. We got some of the fodder we harvested earlier in the year. Now, this is one of the fields that would have been left towards the end of the year for to have fresh beet out. And as you can see, it's just it's after it turned into a salvage job. And we can see the water lying there now. It's obviously very difficult to get out. And you're, but you're struggling in other places on the farm too. So you haven't, you'd usually sow winter cereals and you don't have any in. Yeah, normally I'd be sowing two thirds, kind of one third for winter cereals towards spring. Um, this year now I've, I've none sowed. Um, running into problems now with access and seed for spring crops as well. The spring wheat seed seems to be scarce. Bean seed seems to be scarce as well. And barley seed is going to get scarce is my fear because of of the high demand that's there for it. But soil tillage farmers are going to struggle badly and the, the tree crop rule is something that's going to have to be majorly looked at because of the way weather has gone. And we know we have to meet all the criteria other years, but in this year, the way it's looking, we are going to have to seek a derogation for it. So is it going to affect the economics on your farm as well? Obviously you sow winter crops for a reason. My, my winter crop mainly would be winter wheat, some winter barley. Like you're saying, when you don't have the winter wheat in the ground, you don't get the tons in the yard. And it's the tons in the yard is what pays the bills essentially when it comes to it. The further time goes on, it's going to get harder for to sow crops like beans and spring wheat. If the weather doesn't pick up, like, is there, when's your cut-off point for sowing those crops? Well, I suppose beans, I, I would sow beans towards the end of March, but that's, you're, you're looking at a yield potential loss there. Spring wheat, you'd like to be getting the hen, like Paddy's Day was always kind of a rule for spring wheat mm -hmm. and has it kind of become a rule for spring beans as well. And after that, you're taking the, a yield hit. Obviously then, if you have to, you know, you having your winter crops in, so the way your workload will be broken up, um, you're going to have a lot of pressure points maybe during the year that you wouldn't have if you had the winter crops in. Are you worried about the workload ahead of you? Yeah, well, workload will, will, be, will become big this spring, but it, it'll carry on then through the summer as well, because of if a man sows all spring barley and he'd be used to sowing a couple of different crops, his spraying is going to be under pressure. When it comes to harvest time, the combines are all going to be under pressure. Yeah. Intakes and grain stores become under pressure. We have no ploughing done at the minute. Now, generally, I'd be, I'd be ploughing as I go, and I do a bit of mintail anyway. 
But uh, again, for the Mintill area, there's none of us. There's nothing spread off. There's there's an awful backlog of work there. Like there's there's on some a lot of farms are slurry to go out. There's don't to go out. Like there's just a backlog, and it's every week that goes by, it's getting bigger and bigger. So tillage farmers are facing into a really difficult time. Um, we're going to go down to Oak Park now and we'll talk to Shay feeling down there. We're going to get an idea of seed and the area planted. So Shay, thanks for joining us. We're after being down with John Murphy in Wexford and you know John has no crops in. It's a fairly reflective of what's going on around the country. Is it Shay from what you're seeing? Yeah, I suppose Siobhan, to, to kind of paint a picture where things are at, as you know, autumn 2019 was a difficult autumn to try and get crops established. And even when we did get crops established, um, a lot of crops suffered badly with the wet weather after planting. So we have, well, we have probably maybe 50, somewhere between 50 and 60% of the crop planted that we would have intended to plant. There's probably some of that was going to have to be ripped up and replanted again with spring crops because literally nothing grew. Chagas have estimates of what's been sown. Um, you're looking at those estimates and maybe revising them. Can you tell us where, where they're at? We had estimates that somewhere around 50% of the intended crop, winter crop area had been planted. Um, looking at the department's figures from seed sales, that's probably slightly higher now. Um, now, how much of that is still in merchant's yards is, is anybody's guess or in farmer's yards. There's probably still some seed in yards that hasn't been sown yet. We are higher than what we would have estimated. Um, back before Christmas, we're probably somewhere around 60-65% maybe even at, at most is probably going to make it through to harvest. What is critical about that is we normally saw about 260,000 hectares of cereals in total. Yeah. Uh, looking at the figures that are there, we will have probably somewhere in the region of maybe 160 or 170 hectares of spring cereals to go into the ground. My advice for anybody who's looking to sow spring barley would be to get access to that seed as soon as they possibly can. Otherwise, if they're waiting till the end of March, they could be sorely disappointed. Farmers who are traditionally spring crop growers still need to fulfill that tree crop root requirement. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the derogation that's been given so far is that anybody who can prove that they had uh, winter cereals in, in 2019 or potatoes or maize because they were, they were affected last autumn as well during harvest time. If they have those crops uh, declared on their farms for 2019, then they'll, they'll be eligible for the exemption. If you fall outside that, it's on a case-by-case -case basis. The department has said that they'll look at each case individually, but there's no guarantee that they'll, they'll get an exemption. For people who have spring crops only, there's no exemption there as of yet. Um, and I don't know whether there's likely to be anything given and I suppose a, a really important point to make is there's going to be a lot of work to be done when the weather does pick up. Um, hopefully that'll be soon, but farmers need to be safe on the farm. You know, they're going to have a lot of, they're not just sowing to do, but spraying, fertiliser spreading. Um, have you any advice for people on that? Yeah, uh, it's very, very true. I mean, there is a lot of work to be done and uh, safety is paramount. I mean, we can talk about growing crops and all that, but most important to all farm families is that everybody returns home safe at the end of the day. So I, I suppose the advice we would have is that make sure the farmers take regular breaks, make sure they get all their meals in, plenty of sleep at night so that they're going out every morning fresh. And don't hurry. I mean, that's the big thing. I mean, things kind of happen or accidents happen when people rush. Um, and the old saying, more speed, less haste, is, 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 probably, is, is probably apt in that regard. Okay, well, thanks very much for that, Shay. Um, so a very important message at the end of that there. So I suppose order your seed and having things like that done, preparation is key um, before the, the weather picks up.
And lastly, Michael Moroni of Firm Contractors Ireland dropped in to chat to Claire McCormack about chronic delays for forestry contractors as a result of a planning debacle. Mike, for around two years now, there's been a real issue with a, a slowdown in approval for forestry licences. Um, the government is saying that they want to fire ahead with planting 8,000 hectares um, in forestry a year. But, but what's the reason for this hold-up and what kind of impact is it having on the ground? Well, the reason is, is that there were some changes to the legislation to allow third parties to object to the issuing of planning of licences with regard to forestry work. So there are four areas that require licences with regard to forestry. One is planting trees, afforestation is called. Secondly would be building roads, road building into forestry. Third would be aerial fertiliser spreading, which was done in the past but not so much at the present. And fourthly then is felling or harvesting trees. So you need, there are four separate licences. So if you plant a forest with the ambition to harvest it in the future, you will, will have to adhere to three if not all four of those licences. And what has happened is the legislation has allowed for third parties to object to these at no cost, so the objections don't cost them anything. So as a result, we ended up with thousands upon thousands of objections. Um, which in each case, once there's an objection placed, it has to be examined by an appeal group, appeal group within the department's forestry division. So it ta that all takes a while because there was an avalanche of objections and there wasn't a system in place in the department to deal with such a large number. Now they have put an upgraded um, forestry appeals committee in place and there's a new chairperson has taken over that and they've had additional resources they tell us you know environmentalists ecologists etc are required so they have told us that they have made that investment that manpower is not an issue but the backlog is still an issue and that means that many of the licenses for tree felling have been held back maybe even up to 18 months old at this stage because if you look at the government um priorities on getting our emissions down um, and avoiding huge fines by 2030. There's so much focus on forestry and on planting. So does that kind of hang in the balance at the moment because of these departmental slowdowns? It most certainly does. And, you know, we contractors are hearing their farmer customers who are forestry owners, etc., are, are more hesitant now. They're saying, like, they're not believing the message of increasing afforestation. They understand because we're told of the benefits in terms of carbon sequestration, etc., but they're not believing it because there's too many uh, pitfalls along the way in terms of the licensing system. So definitely the department needs to deal with that. It needs to take any log jams out of the system before enough farmers will have confidence to go and plant enough forestry. And in the meantime, from our members' point of view, it's a huge problem because we can't wait that long. If you've a machine investment, you have monthly repayments to pay. If you have to pay skilled drivers, you can't pay them to stay around, stand around and wait for an objection to be dealt with. So there are huge costs associated with it. And that's definitely having an impact on on how people view forestry and you know one one person involved in forestry investment has made the comment that they would sell their forestry plantation here because they would feel that our sector is is a non-functional sector given the way the legislation is in place and the way it allows such objections mike do you think that the environmental lobbies um have maybe undue or too much influence 
um, on inside the Department of Agriculture. Is that playing any kind of part here? Because I suppose there are all these kind of broad visions for where we want to go with the agricultural sector. But when you actually dig down into it, it's quite cumbersome and quite difficult to push through on whether it's it's forestry or the carbon taxes um, or low emission slurry spreading. Do you know, is there... Do you think that there's too much maybe undue influence there by the environment? There is, and, and increasingly, like agriculture isn't about food production or timber production. It, it's a, it seems to be about other... In, the environment part of it seems to be taking a more dominant position than the food production part of it. And farmers are good at managing their farms, by and large. Like They're good at managing because it's their, in their interest to manage their farms properly to achieve the best production. It's not in their interest to mismanage what they're doing. They do it well. But there seems to be an undue influence from, we call it third parties, who may not have a direct understanding or a knowledge or a background in the sector. And now they're giving a different view on it and have a different input. And that's, you know, I suppose from the forestry part of view, one of the comments that was made, and it was made in the McKinnon report as well, which was done by the department in terms, in terms of its whole licensing area, was that the name forestry has gone out of the Department of Agriculture. I mean, not too long ago it was called the Department of Agriculture, Forestry and Food. It's now Department of Food, uh, Agriculture, Food and the Marine, and forestry has, hasn't, has been dropped. And still this government and all, all members, all the political parties who had their manifestos at the last election, all put huge priority on this forestry. But they've dropped forestry from one of the key departments. And that's a worrying fact. And it means it's not consistent with their declared policies. Very interesting point. Mike, finally, flooding is just wreaking absolute havoc um, at the moment on farms. Land just completely waterlogged. Um, and there's a lot of calls for the hedge cutting date to be extended past March 1st. Uh, previously, we had calls for the slurry spreading extension. Um, is calendar-based farming working at the moment from a contractor's I think, perspective? I think every contractor and every farmer would feel that it's not working. And, but they, that's not a surprise that they have that view. They knew that from the beginning. Most people knew that from the beginning. On the, on the flooding issue... Um, you know, I suppose the simple answer is is the, the notion that the Dutch people say when we go to see them. They say, if Irish people were in Holland, you'd have all drowned in the flood. We don't take drainage seriously at all. Um, and you don't see much maintenance of farm drains going on. And there's not much encouragement for them to do it. In Holland, for example, and they have an acute problem with drainage. We all know it. We all know the history attached to it. But in areas of Holland, by law, you must clean your drains twice a year. But in most of Holland, you must, by law, clean your drains once a year. We have no concept of what drain water management is in this country. We don't even make an effort in the Department of Agriculture. We used to have a, a land project section in the Department of Agriculture where there was some expertise on drainage and soils. That's non-existent at the moment. Uh, that, that doesn't, there's no expertise in the Department of Agriculture. In it. There's some expertise in Chagask in that area. But as a national, as national interest, and given our high rainfall, we don't put any effort into drainage maintenance and a limited effort into catchment area maintenance through the Office of Public Works. But right throughout the country, everywhere you go, you've, it's rare to see drainage maintenance taking place and it's an essential part of water level management. We'll have to leave it there, Mike. Thanks for coming in to us. That's all for this week. You can find all our latest news on the AgriLand app and agriland.ie. See you next week.